faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha, and thank you for joining us today again for The Believer's Journey. I uh, Before we get started, I just want to let everybody know that last week um, we did not do a video. I'm on a, I guess, a series on lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and uh, pride of life. And last week was supposed to be the lust of the eyes. However, I live in Texas, believe it or not, not Hawaii right now. I'm in Texas. And we froze to death, and we uh, had to thaw out. We didn't have power. We didn't have water. We didn't have Internet. So I apologize that we didn't do a video last week, but I will continue with my series next Wednesday. So for today, we have a special show for you. We're going to do another Questions on the Fly. This will be our third one or fourth one, however you are counting them. And um, I think we're, we're going to do good. I was told these are hard questions, and uh, we're going to let you know where they're coming from. And with me today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Angela Montez. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> he asked me to ask him questions. <laughs> Might be a little bit dangerous. <laughs> so, as you can see, she has a good sense of humor. <laughs> And uh, Angela, she's a nurse here in San Antonio, I guess, um, actually, because everybody wants to know what nurses and doctors and EMT people are doing. Tell us what you do. Uh, Thank you. Uh, So I have been a nurse for um, probably about 24 years. I currently work at the Children's Shelter here in San Antonio, and I am a director of a program called Nurse Family Partnership, which uh, services first-time pregnant women. Um, in Bear County with a registered nurse home visitor throughout their pregnancy until the baby turns two. Um, I have nurses that go actually to their homes. We've been doing virtual visits with COVID, so that's been our challenge is keeping people engaged and providing that extra support that they've needed um, through all of this. Uh, so I do that, um, and then I will now go to the National Service Office in Denver next month and work as a consultant for the state of Texas. So. I'm excited about that. Um, I love where I work at the Children's Shelter. There's so many things that they do. Um, we have just a different variety of programs for them. But uh, most time people see nurses as just being in the hospital, but nursing is bigger than that. Um, I was in the hospital for over 20 years, and then I went out into the public health sector and trying to make a difference on the preventative side and um, helping women know that they're not alone and families that they're not alone and that um, most of us want to be good moms. And knowing that we could tap into that feeling of like, hey, I'm a really good mom. I make better choices for myself and, and for my family. So. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So so you do a lot of things. We're, I guess, nursing, you know, we consider nurses as an essential worker. Mm-hmm. However, I guess you said one time you kind of work in a bubble, which means you're kind of the guy, that, the person that orchestrates everything. Is that correct? Yeah, so I just kind of oversee the program and I support the nurses um, and their clients. We serve about 400 clients um, in our agency and uh, over 650 in Bear County. Um, so, yeah, the nurses come to me. They're the ones who do the hard work. They go out to see the families and um, work with these moms. And I just help support the nurses and whatever they're needing to have to do their jobs um, because it really is about a community and making the community healthier. Um, we love our families, and we want families to stay together. So we work yeah. hard towards that. 
And to be totally transparent with everybody, just to let you know, uh, Angela here is also one of my students in my class. <laughs> She's been, I don't know, two or three years now you've been coming? Yeah, over a year. Yeah. Okay. So, and she brings a lot of questions and a lot of stuff to the class and to the conversation. So, uh, I think you'll enjoy her today. She'll probably bring conversation and question me even today. So, <laughs> anyway, um, today is our first day that we are actually going live on YouTube. We are no longer going to be live on Facebook. So, I'm encouraging everybody to share with your friends, share with the people you know that we are now cha have changed our platform to YouTube. We will still put on our videos on other areas like LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook and Spotify and so forth, but we will be live on YouTube. And uh, if you can, during our show, especially while our live shows, you can comment. You, uh, we look forward to that. Uh, we would hope that you subscribe to our channel. By subscribing to our channel, it just helps us to maintain a better uh, visual in YouTube. And it also would help you, like when you get on YouTube, on the side column of your account, you can see our little logo there and just click on it and you have access to all our videos immediately rather than typing in our name every single time. For those of you who don't know, it doesn't cost any money whatsoever to subscribe. It just helps uh, us who in our channel, okay? So anyway, let's get started with our first question of the day, Angela. Well, some of these are really great questions and I actually wanna know the answers to these as well. <laughs> um, and this is good because I know we've talked about this before in our Bible study, Ellen. Um, this question is from the United States. Uh, you claim that Christianity is not a religion, but Christianity is called a religion by every media outlet known to man. The Pope, our priests, church leaders, books, TV shows, news programs, preachers, and missionaries. What makes you think you are right and they are all wrong? <laughs> okay. Because you're Alan. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just I, I don't claim to have all the answers. No. I don't. And if any particular preacher, pastor, pope, or whatever thinks they do, then there's a problem. Yeah. But um, actually, what I've discovered is that Christianity, why I claim it is not a religion and why it is a relationship is by the mere fact of the um, definition. So when you take the definition of what a religion is, a religion is really the order of doing things, the order of worship. So you have an order of doing things. For example, um, we pray every day. We read our Bible every day. We will pay our tithe. We go to church once a week, twice a week, three times a week, or every day. Uh, we do these things religiously. And, and basically, um, that, that constitutes a religion. Okay, From the beginning in the Bible, God created a relationship with Adam and Eve. And he continued that type of relationship with his people all through the Old Testament. And then when Jesus came on the scene in the New Testament, he also talked a lot about having a relationship, a relationship with the Father, a relationship with one another. And as I go and realize that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just because we have a New Testament doesn't mean that things change. And I think that as Christianity has a lot of Christianity, I can't say everywhere, but a lot of Christianity has taught us that the Old Testament, for example, is all about rules and regulations. It's all about you know, things that have nothing to do with relationship, but that's not true. I mean, God calls Israel his, his children, 
and the people of Israel call God his their father and you know God says I am the father my, a father to my children and so there that constitutes a relationship that does not constitute a religion and then we go into the New Testament and Jesus again talks about the relationship the relationship between he and his disciples the relationship between um, he and the father um, this is all you know we are he and the father are one you and I are one this this is a relationship oriented situation and then when we go into John chapter 13 where Jesus says that I give a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you okay we're, we're talking about the way things function as a relationship we're not mm-hmm. talking about way things are functioning as a religion mm-hmm. okay and he says to love one another as I have loved you then you jump into the first John the first John, the first John uh, the book and John talks about loving one another loving the brethren and if you uh, love the brethren, then you are his. Your love is perfected in you and, and God is perfected in you. And he says, if you don't love the brethren, that you're deceiving yourselves and you're not, you're, you're dead inside, you're not his. And he also says, if you hate the brethren, that you are not of God. So basically, all of this has to do with relationship, 100%. And that relationship, starting with the Jews, had to do with their relationship with God and their relationship with one another. When Jesus comes on the scene, he does exactly the same thing. And when they ask him the question about, you know, what is the greatest commandments, he says to love God with all your being. And the second is like the first, to love one another as yourself. All about relationship, 100%. So let me go, let me move further on this about religion. There's a lot of people that say religion is bad, okay? I will tell you that some man-made religions are bad, and, and religion will never bring you salvation. That is hands down. We Most every Christian, uh, every scholar that I know of will agree with that. However, God created religion. He created the idea that we need to pray to him. That's religion. He created the idea that we need to search the scriptures and read the scriptures and follow the scriptures. That's religion. He created the whole idea of tithing. That's religion. He created the idea that we needed to uh, bond together, come together, meet together in assembly and worship together. That's religion. That's God-made religion. So doing, walking through all this religious activity still doesn't give you salvation. You still have to have that relationship. What the religion does for us is it gives us uh, a better understanding of who God is and helps us to grow in the relationship that we have with God and with other believers. We can't, we can't negate the fact that part of this is with other believers because it's all in one. So religion basically builds character. It gives us a stronghold for our relationship. So therefore... I say that Christianity is definitely, absolutely, hands down, a relationship and not a religion. We need to grow in our religious religious activities. We have to re- recognize that because that builds our relationship. Just like a marriage, you know, if you don't talk to your spouse, if you don't do things with your spouse, if you don't, you know, converse or, or have activities with your spouse, that marriage isn't going to grow. It's the same thing. Talking to your spouse isn't marriage, isn't the relationship. It's the part of the 
things you do that help build that relationship. It's exactly the same thing. I agree. I think that, and I've, and I, even at Pastor Ed at CBC said this weekend, like, you know, Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship. It's about that relationship between you and Christ. Right. And, and I, and as you were saying that I was equating my mind, like, it's like being married saying, Hey, I'm married, but my life doesn't reflect that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and if you're going to be married to somebody, you've got to have that relationship. You build relationships through all these different activities and, and if, and not to say, you know, only going to church on Sunday is bad. That's not where I'm coming from. It's that we tend to, and I, I include myself on this because I've been as guilty as possible of just checking in and doing the checklist. Like, oh, I went to church on Sunday and I volunteer here and I do this. So it makes me a Christian. Well, I believe, but I have never really had that relationship with him until I really got to a point where I had nothing else to depend on but him. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when you realize and you get into that relationship with Christ, then you realize it's something different. So, I mean, it's like all those things are great to do, but really matters is when you're having that one-on-one with Jesus. When you can wake up in the morning, he's who you think of. When you're in good times and in bad times, you praise him. When you go to bed at night, he's who you think of. Yeah. Right? Just like your spouse. Yeah. And he's on your mind. Yeah. When I was young... I went through a really hard time in my life, a really hard time. And I questioned God because of the situation that made it hard on me. And uh, I went to pastors to ask, why does God do this? Why would he allow certain things? And finally, because of the church I came from was very legalistic. And because of that legalism, I, I couldn't grasp more than that. And finally, I decided to go to a pastor in a church and I asked him, what, what makes you a Christian? What is a Christian? And he says, well, if you go to church and you read your Bible, pay your tithe, you know, and you pray to him, you're a Christian. And I realized after I walked out, that's the very thing I'm fighting against because that's the very thing that even Jesus said to the person who's praying, you know, and he says, you're a hypocrite because, you know, there's no relationship there, basically. And so and I finally realized through a, a chaplain when I was in, in college and he, he talked about relationship back in the 70s when churches were all about denominations. He brought in this idea of relationship and it just unfolded for me. And made me realize this is really where it's about. And that's when I started really writing my information about what I believe now in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Well, well, good. That was a great answer. And I love that. I know we've talked about it. And um, I don't know. I just love that piece of it. Because I think we do get that confused with being religious. And I know people call us religious people. Or, oh, you're one of those religious freaks. I'm like, I'm not a religious freak. I am a Christian. Yeah. And I believe. You know, it just as... Just as if you were married. It's not like, oh, you only believe in monogamy with people. Well, I'm married, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I am a Christian, but I'm not a religious freak. I mean, uh, so I love how you define those different pieces of it. So I'm cherry picking the questions because I can. <laughs> uh, this is a good question. I think a lot of people have this um, question. And because we tend to believe a lot that um, if we're a Christian, then we won't go through tough times, right? And so this is a question from the U.S. that says, I have a hard time understanding if God is so almighty, caring, loving, and as you teach, he is the creator of the world and mankind, then why does he let people get hurt and suffer, especially innocent people? 
And that question, there's a couple more that are very similar to that. I mean, one from the Philippines said the same thing. Why does he not answer our prayers and take it away from us? Yeah, and um, and I had mentioned in my classes because I uh, I get a lot of uh, we have actually a really good following and, and viewership from the Philippines, and so I have I have read their comments and read their prayer requests, and I've noticed that they they're asking for prayer, and so um, I do go to my class and I mention pray for the Philippines. They like over and over again. I'm getting people. And we're hurting, we're suffering, and so forth. I, I think that we've been handed this bill of goods, and I'm not sure if I can put this in a really good order, but I think we've been handed a bill of goods that God is so loving, he wouldn't, make, he wouldn't allow you to hurt or suffer. And I think it's a bunch of hogwash. That's not why God is there. I mean, first off, I, I believe that the reason why we have pain and suffering is our own doing. You know, from the beginning, I mean, you have Adam and Eve who ate the fruit. By the way, we don't know if it's an apple because it doesn't say it's an apple. It just says there's a fruit and they they disobeyed God and and went against what he said. And we have sin that entered the world because of this and sin caused. I mean, their first children, you know, one kills the other because of his own jealousy and anger and upsetness and, and his own pride. So we have these problems that have entered the world, and we get sicknesses that get go on. It's like it's like if you take a, a snowball and you get on the top of the hill and you start rolling it down the snow, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's how I see sin in the world. Mm-hmm. I see that it started off somewhere small, and it just grows. And I, and I think that what God is about um, is about trying to help us to understand that he is God and that he wants us to follow him regardless of what our circumstances is, is in life. And um, let me give you an example. Um, and I really don't share this publicly hardly ever. Uh, when I was a kid, I was a teenager, I was in sports, and I was really good in sports. In fact, I was talking to my best friend I, I grew up with uh, just a couple of days ago, and he mentioned, you know, we were really good in sports. We were amazing. And... Um, Something happened to me when I was 17 years old. I was in football and in high school and so forth. And I had a grand mal seizure. And I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And I had no idea what was happening. I wasn't hitting the head. I, you know, nothing. I didn't take drugs. I just had this big seizure. And uh, from then on, I had seizure disorder. I mean, I had grand mal's, Jacksonian, petty mal's, and you name it. And, and for the... And so it was really hard for me to grasp. This is what I was talking about my last question. I went through something very difficult. Well, this is the difficult thing. Mm-hmm. I would ask my pastor, Lon Ecto, I asked him, you know, why did God do this? And he said, well, he didn't really do it. It's kind of like he will, he allowed it. It was his permissive will. And I said, well, that's a bunch of garbage. I want a real answer. You know, and I, and I didn't feel I was getting an answer. And I felt like, well, God, what did I do to deserve this? You know, why can't you heal me from this? Where is your healing power? Where is all these things that people talk about? You know, you know, my, my thoughts were if I had enough money and I went to somebody who was a healer and they charge all this money, would they could they heal me? I mean, I didn't know. I was not didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't know these things. And I didn't know the lingo and I didn't know all that stuff. All I knew is I was in pain emotionally, I was in pain physically. 
I mean, there was a morning I'd sleep, be sleeping. My best friend, they had this bed, went from wall to wall, two king beds in the same room. We painted the windows black, and, and we had this big old German shepherd. And one one night, and you know, and as a teenager, I'm drinking alcohol, and that really doesn't help. You know, that you have more seizures. And I'm sleeping there. All of a sudden, you know, I get hit in the head with an elbow. Shut up, tiger! You know, and my friend Rogers, thinking the dog is having a little noise or whatever, and I'm being hit in the head with an elbow while I'm having a seizure because they don't know. Mm-hmm. So, and I felt like I was. Uh, I felt awkward. I not only did I feel awkward, I felt like I was just. Uh, became a total misfit and and something it was freaky you know and, and I would be at church and I felt like something's coming on I go outside lay on the ground have a seizure as I felt better go back in in the Sunday school and it was really weird so I worked through this and and it gave me medicine that kind of worked didn't work or I shouldn't have it so they changed me for fifth now oh, maybe 12 years up to about 1985 or so uh, when I started going to Bible college in um, uh, Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. I was given so much so barbiturates. I had phenobarbital, I had clonopin, which becomes phenobarbital, and I had mycelene, which also kind of becomes phenobarbital when it's in your system. I took all three du- drugs, three and some of them four times a day. Mm. I was like a walking zombie. And... When they gave that those drugs to me while I was in Colorado, I started making really bad decisions because the mycelin causes manic depressive behavior, or I became bipolar, if you will. That's what they call it now. And I didn't know I was doing this. I had no idea. I was married at the time. She had no idea. I'm sure I freaked everybody out because I would do stupid things, you know, and and make stupid decisions and. It was way off until I got out of those medications, got put on something different. And all of a sudden, I, I thought clearly. I go, wow. And I, I remember doing these things, but my life was a mess for those years. And I made terrible decisions, and I hurt people, and it was bad. So what happened was that helped me really turn that all around once I can get better with the medication. I was better to make my decisions that. But I remember something that a uh, uh, counselor said in, in college, and his name was Reuben Welch. And I went into his office because we're having revival. And I'm really upset because I don't want to listen to this guy preach. I didn't feel like I wanted to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, which I was, you know, because I'm being called to the ministry, but I'm having this anger issue. Mm-hmm. So I, I stormed into his office I mean, this is hilarious. I storm into his office and I said, I want to know why God gave me seizures. <laughs> why did God let me have this? What is God doing? And so forth. And he was the first person who literally reached into my heart. And what he did was he took off his glasses and he literally said, I don't know. But I have a daughter. She's 27 years old. She's mentally retarded. She lives in a convalescent home, and I don't know why. Hmm. And then he taught me something. He said, you know, what he had learned was the problem that we have is that we're asking the reason, question why. Why did you do this, God? Why do I have this, God? Why am I suffering? And what he taught me was so very important to these questions. 
He said, we need to learn to stop asking why and start asking God, okay, how can you use me with this suffering, with this pain, with these problems? Mm -hmm. How can you use me to honor you and reach people and, and bless you? And it changed the question. So no longer did I ever ask, why do you do this, God? Why did this happen? Why am I suffering? Instead is, okay, I have this problem. I have this situation. How do I do, how do, what do I do, God, to honor you? What do I do to use this in the ministry that reaches others? I was talking to my best friend that I, I mentioned earlier, and he talked about the things we think about changing and how things may be worse or better or whatever. And the thing I said I would change was not the seizure disorder. He was surprised. I go, because God has used me mm -hmm. to reach people because I asked him, how should I use this for you? And it totally changed my life. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, I think it does. Um, I, mean, I think we all have trials and tribulations. God didn't promise us an easy life. And one of the things I've always kind of hated was that God wouldn't give us enough that we can't handle. And I think that the rephrasing of it is great. He doesn't give us those things, but he's not going to allow things more than he can handle. And he can handle way more than we can. And it's taking this beauty from that, taking those ashes and making beauty, being a phoenix and rising and then turning around and just saying, this is how he worked in my life. When even with myself, you know, with the things that have happened with my own, it's not who I am. Um, it's my it's a story, right? But there's a song. I think it's Micah Tyler, and I apologize if I'm wrong. Sorry, Micah Tyler, if it's not you. But <laughs> but uh, it talks about when I tell my story, I want it to speak of you um, so that you see God in all parts of my story. And you see how he has brought through to that and the joy that still is contained in yourself. And myself, it's where, I, where we get that from. We get that joy because we know that we've walked those paths and he's never left us. And if we look back and reflect, we can see where he carried us, right? Cause we don't do it all on our own. And so I think that's important um, that we understand it's, it's not just about us. And we, we tend as humans to get stuck in the past and in our hurts and think, okay, this happened to me. This is mine and it's mine and my pain and I'm going to stay here with it. And this is what happened to me. Yeah, it did happen, but how is God going to carry you through that? And then how are you going to use what happened to you to help and bless other people behind you? Yeah. Using your pain as a platform to bless others behind you. Yeah. And I think we need to remember the Bible teaches that we need to persevere to the end. And mm -hmm. when we talk about persevering, we're, we're not talking about persevering through the riches and joys and lovely things in life. Obviously, that's not about persevering. You know, that's that's the joy and fun of life. But when we persevere, when we look at Hebrews and Jesus talking in, in the Gospels, the persevering is, is remaining through the trials. Mm -hmm. And that's really where, we're, where we need to be at. We remain in him. We persevere with him. We endure with him to the end. I mean, that's, that's really the theme of he the book of Hebrews. And I think that's a lot of the theme of Jesus. You know, remain in me and I will remain in you. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. And so, yeah, and it's so easy to get off on that path. We're so surrounded by so many things in the world that would take us from that. And I know one of the prayers that I pray every morning and night is that God surrounds my girls with people who will keep them in the path and remove those who do would do them harm. Yeah. 
you know, and I think that's so important. I know my mom prayed over us all the time. And that was one of hers was like to make sure we had all the angels around us and you could feel it, you know, and you still feel it. Like, you know, that you've got God's protection and he just walks us through those fires pretty yeah. much unscathed. So, okay. Question number three. Hmm. This is interesting. This is from Indonesia. So you claim that Jesus is himself God. I know that Jesus became God because of the perfect life he lived and that we can do the same. If we had the same focus and desire as Jesus, tell me what keeps us from having the same determination as Jesus to become a God ourselves. Okay. I remember this person. I remember <laughs> I had a long dissertation with this person from Indonesia. And I am assuming that this person is, is from a Hindu background. Um, but... We, Jesus did not become God. I mean, he actually gave me scriptures that thought that they proved what his, his argument. But really, if you look at the Bible, uh, we should know that Jesus was already God. Jesus is 100% God, and he's 100% man. I know that that's hard for a lot of people to grasp. But if you think about it, Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the father of of Jesus is God himself, the Father, the Holy Spirit. So he is, in a sense, God. And when we look at the scripture, let's say in, in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. Now we know and we understand that the Word is the Son, the Jesus. And we reason we know that because we go to verse 14. It says, and the Word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. When we look at the term Word, Okay, in the word, beginning was the word, and the word became flesh, and the word was, became God. I'm sorry, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, you know, was God. So basically, when we look at that word, what, what we need to go back is in history, in the Greek society, because John was writing to those in the Greek society, they looked at the word as deity. They looked at intelligence and philosophy as, as, as deity. So John is reaching out in a twofold situation here as, you know, look at, okay, so here's, here's what you see as DT is the word. But I'm going to tell you that the word is, in fact, our God, who is, in fact, the creator of all things, which is in verse 2 and 3, because John goes on and says, and the word, you know, created all things and nothing was ever created except for through him. So we know that Jesus was all that, which is part of the creation of the universe, of the world. So how could Jesus, who was only a man, who only became a God, if you will, on earth because of his living, create the whole universe if he wasn't God? So it didn't make sense. So you have to understand that the Bible has to be consistent in all things. If you pull a scripture out of, the, out of a passage and pull something out over here and say, see, Jesus only became a God, then you're missing other scriptures which contradicts that. And you have to look at it in a continuity. So when we look at, for, at the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus was, in fact, God. When it says in the beginning, the Greek in that literally means before anything else ever existed was the Word. Mm -hmm. So now when we go back to verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh. So we know that Jesus wasn't born a man only and became a God because of his behavior. We see from the Gospel of John that he was, before anything else existed, he created all things and he dwelt among us. Which basically says, Jesus is in fact not only a man that walked among us, he is also in fact God himself. 
So the idea that we can become a god or become God is the very lie that Satan, or I'm, should, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that, the very lie that the, the serpent gave Eve in the, in the garden, that you can become God. And that, or a God like him, and that is a lie in itself. And that's what we got to be careful of. And that's why it's important that we understand the scripture has a, has a continuity within 100%. It can't be incorrect. Very good. It's probably the beginning of narcissism. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. But <laughs> Speaking of which, this question, Susan Cutting, I've got your back. I'm, I'm interested to see how he answers this. Okay. This is from the UK. Regarding your series about the responsibilities of marriage between husband and wife, our pastor teaches that the responsibility of the wife is to obey her husband and take care of their home. And the responsibility of the husband is to simply love his wife and provide financially for their home. You seem to make it more complicated than that. And I don't understand why there's so much difference in your teachings, which I'm real interested because <clears throat> I'm more of the worker and my brother recently came to live with me. <sighs> my house has never been so clean. Like, <laughs> he is amazing. I, I, I've never had someone, even when I was married, like, this stuff didn't happen. Like, having a cup of coffee in the morning made for me, and my house was clean, and dinner's on the table. And I'm like, you can just stay here and I'll work, because this is awesome. So I'm interested to he hear this. I think a lot of people have that. There's these very traditional roles that I think, um, a society that we have had here and in other places and then i think you know religion has somehow played into that or it has been used christianity has been used to back those things up so i'd like i'd like to hear that well and 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 i i actually started on this quest to learn more about the meaning of marriage i think it was i think it was back in the early 90s i heard a pastor well, I, I know of a woman who went to her pastor with her daughter and needed to do something because her husband was molesting her daughter and needed to find something to fix this problem. And the, and the pastor basically said to her, well, you know, the Bible says you need to obey your husband. You need to go back home and just be you know, obedient to your husband and stop all this running around. You know, not, not running around as in fooling around, but, you know, going off and finding answers. Mm -hmm. So when I heard that and I realized there's something wrong with that teaching because that doesn't seem consistent with the Bible and how it would teach us how to live. So as I learned more, and the passage that people use or all these teachers use is that of uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, that wives love your, or, um, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, Okay. And the term submit, I mean, obviously we have a, um, a, 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 a submit like to, if you're a private, you submit to your, the corporal, and the corporal submits to the, you know, the chain of command, if you will. But you also have the idea that it's, it's respect, it's honoring. And so we have this way of honoring and respecting from the wives, okay? But the big, the big heavy is on the husband. And the teaching of, of, well, you know, and then you go back to, let me go back again uh, on the submit thing. If you go to Ephesians chapter before, it says submit to one another. Mm -hmm. Okay. So already 
you know, you can't pull it away. You know, you still have, if you're both believers, you submit to one another. Okay, so you honor one another. You give to one another. You do for one another. You serve one another. And then we go back to uh, Proverbs 31. It talks about the perfect uh, wife and, and of the home and so forth. And so I think that's where they get all this and they put it together. It's a nice little package. Well, I've come to believe that the idea of, of, of God or Jesus and the church or God and his people are equivalent to the idea of a husband and his wife, a marriage, okay? You have Jesus, who is the head of the church, okay? Jesus came and said, I came to serve the church, okay? So when we look at and he went and washed their feet, and he prayed for them and fed them and did all these things for them. So when we look at the husband's side of it, it says to love your wife, as Christ loved the church, the problem is people stop at love your wife, period. Oh, I love my wife. Yeah, I, I make a living. I bring food for her. I do all this. Some of them go as far as I have sex with her. And so that's loving my wife. And the problem is it says love, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So when you define as Christ loved the church and you go to that very passage where Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Okay, we're talking about how he loved the church. And so when we define that, it's not that he went to the cross and died, because if that's true, then every husband needs to run out in front of a bus and die. I mean, this, that's not what Jesus teaches. That's not what Paul teaches. Even Peter says to, to love your wives in an understanding way. Okay? So we're, we're taught this, and we have to understand it's got back to this relationship stuff. So if Jesus, if Paul says love your wives as Christ of the church, then we need to define, well, Christ of the church in what way? He spent time with, with the church. So the thing is, husbands, are you spending time with your wives? Quality time. I don't mean sitting on the couch eating popcorn or, or drinking your beer or whatever is ignoring your wife. Oh, because she's in the same room. I mean quality time. You, you take her on. You know, I, tell, I, I teach this. And I teach this to especially ministers, but every Christian. I tell them they need to take their wives out on a date every week. You hear that, Susan? I think you have a date coming up this week. <laughs> Every week, you know, and it's so important. And you spend time. I mean, you don't talk about the kids. You don't talk about work. You, you're on a date. And you need to continue dating. I talk about young couples who have children. Oh, I have children. Go on a date and don't talk about the children. You need to make sure you know one another. Because when those children leave the house, what do you have if you've not communicated to one another? You have a relationship that you don't know each other. Because now the kids are gone. Okay, what else did Jesus do? He fed the church. Okay, husbands, do you have a job? Are you providing for your home? You know, he healed the church. Well, in our days, okay, what do we see that as? Well, we comfort. I know, like, for example, the other night, my wife is not feeling well. She's, she had a heart problem the other day, and so she said, will you hold me? That's healing the church. That's healing my wife. That's holding her mm -hmm. as she comforts. I can comfort her. That's part of healing. So that's something else Jesus did. Um, he prayed for the church. Do you husbands pray for your wives? Not that your wives make you a good dinner. Not that your wives do all this extra work for you. But do you pray for their health? Do you pray for their lives? Do you pray for them, you know, in their, their being, in their pursuits, in their desires? You know, all that. And finally, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He was a servant to the church. Are you a servant to your wife? 
So really, why I teach this is because it's biblically sound. It, it's not where, you know, obey your husbands and do what they say. No, that's not biblically sound because then you have contradictions. Again, you have contradictions in the Bible that teach differently. You have to have that maintaining factor in the Bible that says there's no competition in this teaching. And what I'm teaching, there's no competition. There's nothing that actually hits against what I'm teaching because it's strictly from the Word of God that teaches these things, that tells you this is how you treat one another. So responsibilities, your responsibility is to one another to uplift and honor and love and take care of each other as you would live in the same relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, that's beautiful. It makes me think of the term servant leadership. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's servant leadership. I mean, we do that in our workplaces, and why do we not do that at home with each other? I mean, that's man and wife, I think. You know, yeah. serving each other, you're helping to lead, and he's leading the family by showing, you know, I'm supporting. You know, not just financially, but just supporting in general in all aspects. Yeah. If you're a servant leadership and you're single, she wouldn't give me help. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, let's see. Yes, by the way, all you single guys that are somewhere in San Antonio, Angela is single. She's amazing. And uh, <laughs> and you can see that for yourselves. Oh, I love you, Alan. <laughs> You're a good wingman. Um, okay, and I know that we've been talking a little bit about this um, a lot at church. I think a lot of people have this on their mind because of the things that we're going through with, with COVID, with um even Texas with our disaster that we've had here this past, um, mainly about tribulation, the rapture. So a couple people asked a question. They're both very similar. Um, it says, Where? everywhere I'm... Where's it from? This one's from the U.S. And let's see. And Moldova. These okay. are very similar. They both talk about the end times. Um, if they have been started or when is this going to start? Um, why has the church not been raptured? And um, do we know who the Antichrist is? And what's our evidence that we're in the end times? Um, and, and then it's asking, if he, God loves us so much, will he allow us to go through any of the seven-year tribulation and rapture us first? Right? Does that make sense? I'm trying to condense a, a couple lot. of questions. Yeah. Okay. So they want to know kind of like, are we there now? And how do we know that they're there? Okay. And then... If we're being there, why have we not been taken up? Or what point will we be taken up for the rapture? Okay. Right. Um, there are different different scholars, different theologians, and I'm not even going to get into the different preachers or book writers, okay? But different writers, uh, people have a different idea of when the end times begin or when they started. I, I have an understanding that the end times actually literally began when Jesus after Jesus raised, rose from into heaven, okay? And the reason I said that, because Jesus gave a uh, prophecy when they asked him about the end times, you know, in Matthew and in Luke. Um, he said that the temple, temple is going to be destroyed. You're going to be scattered around the earth. Well, that's the beginning of the um, end times right there. However, I do understand that there are more closer things of what we think is of the end times in today's world. So I do believe that if you look at the Israel, one of the things that Jesus talked about is the fig tree. 
And he says, when you see the fig leaf reopening, and, and most scholars have read, uh, compare that to Israel. This is really Israel. So when you see Israel open up and begin, uh, Jesus says, then the, you'll see the times beginning. You'll see the things happening. And basically, he also says, concludes with that and says that a generation will not pass before I return. Now, we have to understand there's a difference between him returning and the rapture. There are two different deals. So we have in the Old Testament, they call it the day of the Lord. And in the New Testament, they call it the second coming. It's the same day. It's the same thing. Jesus returning. However, those are not the rapture. That's something totally different. I believe that too many people have their focus on the rapture. And I also believe too many people have a focus on the fact that, you know, the rapture is going to free them from all problems. And I think that what we need to understand is uh, that Jesus taught us that we need to be on the lookout and notice and be aware of the times and the signs and the wonders and the things that are happening around our world. Um, in fact, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, he says, As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and uh, giving in marriage until the day of Noah Tell you, the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. And then he says, and so will the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying, be on the, the lookout. Be aware. Don't be one of these people that say, oh, I've heard that before. Oh, yeah, well, I read, you know, somebody's book about the four moons, and it, blood moons that didn't come true or the rapture didn't come true. So, and they kind of just give it up and they don't, they become insensitive to this. And Jesus is saying, this is what happened in Noah's day. They became insensitive. They just lived their life until all of a sudden the door was closed to the ark and it was too late and they're done. So I believe that if you're focused on the, the rapture, you're focused on the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Because the rapture is not the signs of the times or the signs that are coming about. The signs that Jesus talks about are earthquakes. The things that Jesus ta that they're talked about is in Isaiah is the coming back and the, the creating of, of a, a nation in one day, 1948, you know, May of 1948, one day. The, the talks about the Jews returning from all over the world back to Israel. You know, we, these are the signs that we need to be looking for. You know, the, the things of the earth, what does Jesus call them? Birth pangs, you know, things that are happening that are, that are around us today. Um, so I believe that our notice, our eyesight in looking around, we can't just ignore it and think that we're just going to be raptured and everything is hunky-dory. The problem with the rapture is uh, whether you believe there's a rapture or not is immaterial, okay? If you do believe there's a rapture, the problem is there's four different theories, Bible teachings about when the rapture is going to be. You have before the tribulation, and I might mind you, there is actually literally no Bible verses that tell us the rapture will happen before the seven years. There's nowhere. Then you have the mid-tribulation, which is in the middle of the seven years. But the mid-tribulation, people say, oh, that's going to really be pre-tribulation because that's before the other three and a half, which is called the great tribulation, because the first half is not called the Great Tribulation. So you have that other part. So you have mid-tribbers, 
and they believe it's going to be when the Antichrist is revealed, which they grab that verse, those verses out of Thessalonians, that when the, the temple is desecrated, okay, that's when that's going to happen. Then you have another one, which is called the wrath tribulation, which is closer to the second coming, which is right around the end of the um, uh, trumpets, because there's, a, there's some judgments there that's coming directly from God that they say cannot be to his believers because he's protected the believers through the tribulation and the church is there. But then you have finally um, the where it says when Jesus is coming down on the day of the Lord that we're raptured at the same time to come down with him. So there's all these different ideas of the rapture. So let's put that aside. Let's look now, what do we need to look at? Jesus says, look at the sign of the times. If we listen to Jesus, we'll be more on it. I mean, Jesus does this. He predicts the destruction of the temple. He predicts the signs of the times of the ends of the age, which I've already mentioned some of them. Okay, he, he predicts the destruction of Jerusalem. He predicts the coming of the Son of Man. He predicts the parable of the fig tree, which we have identified that as Israel. Okay, and he also says we have, it's so important that we watch. If we deny this and put it aside, we're ignoring what Jesus is telling us to do. Okay? We need to get away from the idea that because God is so loving, because he loves us so much, that he wouldn't have us go through any tribulation whatsoever, and he'll rapture us before anything happens. Well, then, according to that theory and philosophy, we're saying that he loves us so much, he wouldn't let us go through any hardship. Well, does that mean that the disciples he didn't love because he let them go through torture and suffering and death? And, and the whole first century church, hundreds of them went through torture and death. So it doesn't match up. We have to understand we can't live like that. We can't live it. God is, is all love. No, he's holy. God is holy. His love comes from his holiness. And we need to look at that. I believe... That we're and another problem is that we have all these writers about the tribulation that we have the seven seals and they don't even begin until the tribulation begins. I'm not sure that's true. The Bible doesn't say it happens that way. We've just had people decide that they want to predict this and write it in books like it's a fact when in fact it doesn't say that in the Bible. If you look at the at the Four, first four seals, what they call the four horsemen, we see evidence already. The first, the first seal, um, I mean, yeah, the first seal is the guy in the white horse, or the white horse, yeah, the white horse, and he's carrying a bow. And this represents counterfeit, you know, deception. And we're talking about deception in the church. Do we see deception in the church? Oh, yeah. Everywhere. It's awful. The church, deception in the church, not only dece deceiving in the church, the acceptance of false teaching, the preaching of false teaching, you know, all these things that are so bad for us, it, it's in the church, okay? And then we see it has, you know, taking the second horse is the red horse. What's the red horse about? Taking peace from the earth. What people are saying is that, oh, it's wars, rumors of wars. No, that's what Jesus said. But in Revelation, it doesn't say wars and rumors of wars. It says it's going to take peace from the earth, bring nation against nation. Nation against nation is not like the United States against Russia. Nation against nation is like white against black. 
you know, Israeli against Arab. You know, it's, you know. And that's been here for a long time. Right. That's but not see, just a but now we're looking at, at a global situation. We have riots within our nation, United States, Egypt, Hong Kong, France, Moldova, Russia, England, Sweden. They're happening all over the world. All these things are uprising and peace is leaving the countries and they're fighting within themselves. This is peace leaving the earth. This is probably evidence of the second horse, third horse, pestilence. Oh, my word. We have AIDS. We have cancer. We have H1N1. We have coronavirus. Pestilence is a non-curable disease. And that's what we have. And then we have the death. How many people have died from all these diseases combined? It's supposed to be a quarter of the population of the earth. We're getting really close. So my prediction or my idea or my teaching, and I don't, I'm not telling you I'm exactly right on this. I'm just saying these are the evidences that I see that match the word. I may be wrong, but I don't think I am on this one. But you see death all over because of these situations, because of the rioting, because of the pestilence, because of all these things. And now we're sitting there thinking that we're going to bypass all this. It's already happening. Yeah, I know. And there's a lot of people who think that, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, because you tell me when I am wrong. That's okay. I'm okay with that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I hear other Christians talking about we need to stop it. Like, I, for me, I don't feel like that's, we can do that. I don't feel as a, as a human race, I think it's been planned out and that God's got this plan and that we just, we do our part and we try to take as many people with us as possible. But when it's going to end, it's going to end. He knows the time and we don't. I don't think there's anything really that we can do to stop yeah. it from happening. I'll tell you something else. And this is to the people in the United States. I, I think that if you're a Christian or a believer and you're, you think that Trump is going to save the United States? You've got your eyes on the wrong person. <laughs> the person needs your eyes need to be on Jesus Christ because it's terrible to think that only God and, and Trump can save us. That's that's false teaching. That's false biblical teaching. Only Jesus can save us, and we need to hold on to that. And and it says in the end days that many will fall away. It says that in the end days, people are only going to go listen to what tickles their ears, what pleases them. And if that's what you're doing and and you've got your sights wrong, you get to get back in your Bible and read the fact that, you know, God is our Savior. God is our refuge. Jesus is our Savior, basically, not a politician, not somebody who's out there who's going to run the country or be in Congress or be here or there. We've got our you've got your sights wrong and you need to be careful of that teaching. Yeah, one of the things you talked about too is that in the in the biblical times, like in the Bible, U.S. isn't even mentioned. That's like we are not that biggest player in the end of times. Oh, the United States. The United States, right? You know, that's not. It's more like Iran and uh, Mid- Middle East. Middle East, yeah. right? So we're not those big players. I think it's it's kind of um, see, but it's conceited to think that that's you know it's all dependent on our politicians because they're not. They're men, and when we worship man and put him well above Jesus, we're saying he can do more than what Jesus could have done. Yeah. Right? So, and I don't, that's just not possible. We're all, we're right. all flawed and clean ourselves. And in this it. picture, okay. I wouldn't put Russia out of the picture. I used to, but I've read and, and studied more historically. And in, in Ezekiel, uh, when, when we talk about uh, Gog and Magog, the, 
the area of that day was in Turkey, Syria. And those people migrated to Russia. And now Russia is back in Syria and dealing with Iran. So these may be the same people of Gog. Okay, they may be the very same people. So I wouldn't rule out Russia. I'm not saying that they're obviously the ones or the big deal. But because you have that area in Syria and in, in Turkey as today being of the same people that migrated to Russia, now we have Russia back in the picture. It may be very well that Russia has a lot to do with its problem in the end times. I don't know. It's, uh, it's something really worth looking at. And in my research, it's kind of interesting to look at that. But the end days, you know, the most important thing that I teach, the most important thing that I really press is not that we seek the, for the rapture because that's the wrong way to look at things. You need to seek Jesus. You need to seek that your life is grounded in him. I mean, here's a scenario. So you believe, let's say you believe that no matter what, I'm going to be raptured before the seven years and, and I'll be gone and, and that's all going to happen. Well, let's just say out of those four raptures, that first one doesn't happen and you go through some of this stuff. What happens to your faith? Mm -hmm. Do you now believe that God didn't save you? Do you now believe that, that God isn't true, the Bible's not true, and you fall away as the Bible talks about? Mm -hmm. Because if you're hanging on your hat on a rapture situation, then your focus is not on your relationship with Jesus. And you need to be grounded in Jesus. You need to have your focus on Jesus. That is truly where you need to be. And the rapture has to be a secondary situation. I teach on the end times, and I'm writing a seminar for, I'm supposed to go back and do a whole seminar in another country uh, on the end times. And I put talking about the rapture, the very last topic, hmm. because it is, it is really, in my opinion, it is least of what is most important. I agree. And we've been focused on that. I remember my mom thought Mikhail Gorbachev was, you know, the Antichrist. He had the shadow on his forehead and back then. But... um I think for us, and it ties back to that question too, I feel like for me to do what God's asking us to do, Jesus taught us servant leadership. So we are to be the servant leaders to others as well, the hands and feet of Jesus, which means living our lives in a way that speaks of him in that way, serving others in a leadership role so that we draw as many people as possible before that time does come. And I feel, I feel like that's probably what we need to be doing and focus on more so than worrying when it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think that if we focus on the raptures, the problem with that is these raptures theories, like for example, the pre pre tribulation rapture, that's just a theory that was brought out in 1840. It's not even that old. And the idea was that, you know, God loves us so much that he wouldn't let us go through the tribulation. There's your premise of that entire philosophy of that rapture. Well, that's not very biblical. So, you know, we need to not focus on that. We need to be more focused on the biblical part of that in our relationship. And we need to realize these rapture theories is just what it is. Because there are other theories that have biblical premise. But which one do you do? I mean, do you flip a coin? Do you you know, pull a string. How do you figure out which is which? That's why it's not that important to focus on. Focus on what we do know is important, not on what we hope is important. 
keep looking up the clock because I think we're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I don't know where to look, so I'm I'm looking, looking at my clock, and I've got about 45 <laughs> seconds. So actually, we probably don't have time for another answer to any other questions. So what I will tell you as you watch this is please comment on uh, on this video. Please, uh, if you will, subscribe. And um, we obviously aren't even halfway through the questions. Oh, so no. <laughs> um, I will probably pick these questions up again because I want to do the, more of them uh, maybe in two weeks. Uh, I And we'll continue with this, uh, this questionnaire. It's uh, questions on the fly in two weeks. And next week we'll do the uh, lust of the eyes. And it's so glad. I'm so glad to be back and talking to you guys and sharing. And so, again, please comment. And you guys have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.